stepping into springtime, welcome to Hand of Pod. episode 409 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined by Santi. Hi guys. And Andres. Hello, welcome. Uh, we have had a couple of weeks of action since we last recorded. I've just noticed that my live score app is still on the um, UEFA Nations League results because I was trying to work out when the bloody hell the rest of it took place at the semi-finals happened today. I completely... <laughs> passed me by it was it turns out it was late last year so i'm not going mad it just they left a year between the group stage ending and the semi-final for some reason um so what we want to see is the results from the liga profesional de football there have been two rounds of matches in that i think since we last recorded uh which was a couple of weeks ago so the main results i won't run through all of them i'll just run through the ones that have actually got a few goals involved uh a week and a half ago, there was a 3-1 win for Gimnasia away to Aldo Sibi, a 4-1 win for Tacheres at home to Rosario Central to keep them top of the league at the time, just after Dan and I had praised how well they were doing. Banfield beat Atletico Tucumán 2-0. River beat Central Cordoba 3-1. Uh, Boca beat Colón 1-0 the following day. And Godoy Cruz, sorry to mention it, Santi, got a 4-1 win away to Independiente. Then this last weekend, I will go through all of the results. Aldo Sibi 1, Union 2, Lanús 2, Central Córdoba 1, Platense 0, Patronato 0, Godoy Cruz 2, Newell's Old Boys 2, Huracán 1, Arsenal 0, Atlético Tucumán 0, San Lorenzo 0, Vélez 3, Independiente 3. I'm sure Santi's going to have something to say about Vélez's comeback in that match. Don't be sorry, they should be. (laughs) Gimnasia nil, Sarmiento one, uh, Rosario Central nil, Argentinos one, River two, Boca one in the Super Clásico, Racing one, Estudiantes one, Defensa Justicia three, Tacheres nil, and Colón nil, Banfield nil. You will already have guessed where 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 we are beginning uh, this week in the Monumental, the first weekend after fans were allowed back in the stadium. Um, there were rather more than 50% of the fans who were allowed into the stadium present. And uh, that means that River now, it looks very much as if the Monumental is going to be closed for a little bit because the government said that uh, fans were allowed back in at 50% of capacity. Uh, Belgrano did the same thing um, in the second division. And one of the matches on Monday, which one was it that I was looking at that I thought that looked like being, I think it was defensive. No, Colón, Colón, I think. I don't, yeah. I, Far more than fifty percent of their capacity yes, filled. San Martin de Tucumán as well. I think in the in the second division too. Yeah, uh, the for footage. Colón, obviously there was a, a big party after the match because it's the first time they've been playing in front of fans since winning their first ever trophy. Um, but it does just seem, you know, Dan and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we did. I, I can't remember when we mentioned it on the main episode, but if not, then we mentioned it on extra. 
that some of the uh, restrictions that have been lifted seem like lifting too many things all at once and that it seemed like asking for trouble, allowing fans back in specifically for Super Classico weekend. Um, anyway, so... I think it's no surprises about this. Uh, if anyone thought that uh, the restrictions of 50% uh, uh, of people in the in the stadiums will be respected, well, <laughs> uh, it's Argentina and and. Argentinian football specifically, yeah. and I think I, I, I at least in my opinion, I, I think it's of course there is a pandemic in the middle, and it's something that uh, it's not uh, anything like you could say. Well, it's okay, uh, but uh, the, the the idea of people coming uh, into the stadiums uh, and to be more than that fifty percent, I think it was quite likely to happen, and what well, it happened. Yeah, and also clubs were basically desperate for the money. I mean, there were uh, even some um, some rumblings about uh, most clubs uh, actually lobbying for seventy or even one hundred percent capacity because they were so so desperate to for fans to be back because they were basically stripped of their main income for about a year and a half. Uh, and they and the government was you know announced restrictions like you know. Um, uh, face masks throughout the 90 minutes and uh, no food allowed to be sold. All, all the kind of stuff like, how are they going to enforce this? There was no way they would successfully enforce some of these restrictions. And we all knew that. So it, it kind of begs the question, why would you promise something like that if you don't offer guarantees of how are you going to enforce that? Indeed, it does. Yeah. Um, apologies, I've had a bit of an emergency with the volume on my microphone. Our button seems to be stuck on my nice new keyboard, and that's holding the volume permanently at maximum, which is a bit painful to listen. Uh, but hopefully, it's not coming through and leaking into the microphone again. Um, regarding the restrictions, yeah. I mean, as I said, Dan and I already um, mentioned this uh, in a little bit of detail last, well, two weeks ago in, in Handapod Extra and a little bit in the main episode. and. Uh, it's just, um, as you say, Santi, everybody knows that whatever restrictions there are going to be, in effect, there are going to be slightly fewer restrictions than that because nobody ever pays attention to all of them. Um, so we'll see, you know, I'd, uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks time, we don't start to see lots of uh, another big spike in numbers because everyone's been allowed to do too much stuff all at once. Fingers crossed. Uh, the match itself was not short of drama. Uh, Marcos Rojo was the star of the opening 15 minutes or so, picking up two yellow cards in the space of about a minute after a quarter of an hour uh, to get himself sent off. Um, and then followed by a, a really spectacular piece of time-wasting um, from Agustin Rossi in Boca's goal to allow Boca to have the time to let somebody warm up and then make the tactical change that they needed to make. Um, I think it was a five-minute delay and the referee only added four minutes at the end of the half. And that was in spite of the fact that in between those two things, River also scored two goals, both through Julian Alvarez. The first, was it the first one? That was also Rossi's fault. The, comment, the commentator got very excited about it and was calling it a I goal. Think asshole, bo- both of, you could say that both of them were uh, Rossi's fault. Yeah, I but I mean, the, the first one was just was utterly bizarre because he was standing on his line and managed to get lobbed. It, it was truly strange. Oh, anyway, uh, yeah. 
Boca got a very, very late consolation. It was almost the last touch of the match through, funnily enough, the player who replaced Edwin Caradona right after Rojo was sent off in the first half, Carlos Zambrano. Um, Andres, I'm guessing that you're pretty happy. Not only, by the way, do River therefore win the Super Classico 2-1, but they are also, as we speak, uh, just taking that I am correct. Yes, I am. They are top of the league. Um, happy, Andres? Yes, yes, of course. Um, surprising. I, I, I was a bit surprised because uh, after, before the match, I was a bit nervous because, well, uh, as, as the ones who are following uh, the uh, Liga Profesional uh, know that uh, um, uh, River hasn't been playing that brilliantly or at least the, 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 the performances that uh, uh, we we watch River play uh, with Yashard in the bench and and the last matches were like uh, quite irregular. Some matches playing well, but not being able to score. In some others, were with great uh, accuracy in the, in the in the net, but not playing uh, quite fluently. Uh, and Boca had been improving a bit, not being not not as a team, but uh, uh, perhaps being able to, to to win and to get good results and, and eliminating River from Copa Argentina, even when it was through penalties. So there were some things that were uh, around the match that uh, perhaps previewed uh, a quite even match or perhaps a more even match uh, than that it finally was. Of course, with Rojo uh, being quite uh, 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 putting things quite easy for River because when you have 15 minutes in the in the match and and get the, a, a, a sent off uh, a red card. Uh, uh, by the way, it is Marcos Rojo, Marcos Red. So. Uh, it was easy, perhaps, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, of course I'm happy because River, even when when they had that quite uh, great help help from from Rojo, uh, I think it was quite better. Uh, having one one more man, one more man, but uh, there were a lot of matches in the past with teams that were able even to to, to win uh, with uh, with one with one uh, with ten men. Uh, of course, not good for Santi, but I remember with I think it was nine men that Racing went uh, won against Independiente with the goal from Marcelo Diaz, the Ch- Chilean midfielder. You just had to bring that up, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> um, so there are quite uh, uh, plenty of games in which the team that has less men than the, the rivals uh, they carry the match okay, and, and even they can they can win. In this case, Boca were. Uh, Totally in their side, and and perhaps didn't cross the midfield, uh, the, the the center midfield. So uh, I think it's it was good even for that because River was Boca respect too much. River, River had their, that star called Julian Alvarez, if, who who if you could say that he confirmed what he had been doing in the in the last matches. Uh, but of course, against Boca, it has a special taste, of course. And, and I think it was a, a, a quite a good match. He, I think River could have scored uh, more goals, of course, if, if, if they were would have been a bit uh, better finishing the, the, the place they had. Uh, uh, but well, uh, yes, uh, uh, of course, uh, also Defensa Justicia helped River to uh, to be now, as you said, in the in the top of the league, uh, with another surprising, I think, defeat from Defensive Justicia three uh, nil. So yes, I think it was a great, a great round to be a, 
uh, uh, Sunday was a, a great day to be a real supporter, and Monday was another great day. Yeah, Defensa Justicia uh, beat Tacheres 3-0 um, to the following day, as, as Andres says, to, to keep River top. Um, I have to admit that I didn't catch that one, but it, you, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right when you say it's surprising because Defensa haven't been enjoying a particularly good campaign. They're, well, they're exactly mid-table. In fact, I was going to say they're around mid-table, but they are 13th out of 26 um, teams. And... I mean, I know what you mean about Boca as well, Andres, because you mentioned that that they're not easy to beat. And just looking down, even after that 2-1 defeat to River, they've still got something like the fourth best defence in the league. Um, they only let 10 goals in in 14 matches. So, well done, River, who are also top scorers um, and have only conceded one more than Boca. So, for all of the lack of really fluid play, um, that we've seen from them so far this season. Things are going right at both ends, at least, even if not necessarily always in the middle. Uh, they you have, have to, You have to take into account the fact that uh, this Super Classical was uh, Bataglia's first loss as a Boca full-time manager. Yeah, course, if, you, if you count uh, the time he had to step in for uh, Russo back when he was uh, isolated because of the Mineiro incident, he did lose against San Lorenzo, but... Apart from that, this was his first ever defeat as a manager. Hmm. The thing is, there are better games and better ways to be defeated for the first time as a manager than this one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Santi, Independiente. So, as I've already outlined, uh, they have, I think they've lost twice since we last recorded. They've Obviously, you didn't last record with us, but... Uh, Lost uh, 4-1 to Godoy Cruz. Ah, no, of course, they didn't lose the other one, did they? They, they drew 3-3 with Vélez, but that but one... it felt like a loss. What exactly, it? I was going to say, I mean, in the circumstances, it really must have felt like a loss. I watched most of the second half of it and then wandered out thinking, well, Independiente are going to, you know, that, that's it, they'll, they'll win this. About 87, 8, 85, 86 minutes, something like that in. They were Independiente 3-1 up. Vélez have been pushing fairly hard, but didn't really look like getting the breakthrough. So I thought, well... I need to go for a shower. So I'll go for a shower. And when I came out and looked up the results, uh, it was Vélez 3, Independiente 3, with goals from Thiago Almada in the 88th minute and Matias de los Santos in the 93rd minute. Um, what happened, Santi? Well, I think uh, these last couple of games have, been, have functioned as something of a reality check for Independiente. Uh, in the sense that um, I always felt like um, this team was, for the longest time, punching well above its weight. Um, this is not a team and a squad to be this this high in the in the table. To be honest, I mean, this should not be the case. We're talking about a team that has. Uh, only seven first-team players who are not academy graduates. And that's not... Um, I mean, you could read that as a, you know, as a blessing, for, blessing for the club and how important uh, the academy graduates have, have become. But it's just a result of a, a, a doomsday scenario of an economic situation where, you know, there, there's like a 4.5 million debt to America, and that's why we can't sign anyone. Um, and um, 
fair play to to Falcioni for keeping this side competitive and uh, actually rotating it the team with uh, with the youngsters more than I was expecting him to. Um, I mean, you could say that he he did it out of necessity because of you know all the stuff that I've listed before. But to be honest, uh, you have to um, you have to be able to 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 get the results he got before this and uh, and. Truth be told, um, in that uh, drubbing against Golikos, they just met a team that was in a, in even if it's not necessarily a better squad, I don't think that's the case. But it's just a team that's uh, much better, you know, organized and uh, with a clear idea what they were trying to do. Uh, unlike in the Bainton that afternoon, and then in the in the Vélez draw, you know, I I thought we were we were seeing some progress. Um, the team was what well, had a brilliant, brilliant first half. They 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 went behind in the in the early minutes, and they not not only did they recover immediately, they also you know dominated the the rest of the half. And um, even if they they didn't uh, continue that dominance into the second half, they looked like they could see the game out. Uh, but then again, uh, you know, it's kind of a problem in the they has had in, in the last few years where every time they seem to be playing a, a high-stakes game, a game that could uh, place them in, a, in either a comfortable situation or, you know, kind of like a decisive game, they tend to falter. They just do not have the... The mentality or the, the concentration to to see those games through. Uh, this is just what's been going on. This is the these are the limitations of independent the team, and they have been so for a while. Um, and I do not think the, this stuff will change anytime soon because um, there's just not the money or the you know the rulings allowed to. For this team to improve, we just uh, rely on the on the brilliance of the academy graduates and Falcioni's skill as a manager. Who I think I, I should still give credit to him. His uh, the 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 work he's been he's he's achieved with what what he has at his, at his disposal is absolutely incredible. But these are the limitations of this team. There is a very clear ceiling to this team, and um, they don't look very likely to to break through it. They still need to score more as well, right? I mean, it sounds a bit weird to say after a 3-3 draw, but the, the strength is very much normally in defence and not in attack. Um, I was just looking down to compare. You mentioned that the Godoy Cruz result as well. And so at the moment, Independiente and Vélez are fifth and sixth, and Godoy Cruz are seventh. Um, so they, you could say that Independiente have just had a, a couple of you know fairly tough matches by by that reckoning. Um, but looking at Godoy Cruz's goals, goals scored, Godoy Cruz is the second top scorers in the division behind River. Uh, they've got 25 goals. They've scored. I think that's down, that's down to Independiente just being very, very, very wasteful mm. in, in terms of they the, the chances. I think they, they are creating much more chances now that they had been in the first semester. I think uh, Falcioni has done a good job at adapting the team to, to their own strengths. And uh, trusting uh, some really good uh, young players like you know Sonora and Belarco, and they've just uh, become 
stalwarts in the starting lineup. Um, you could say that that could be because I mean, in the painter keeps selling or keep giving away uh, in senior players because that's the only way they know to raise some funds at the moment. Mm. But um, but yeah, I mean, um, there's um, there had been this talk before the even before the Godoy Cruz game that if Silvio Romero can't score, then no one can. And um, that's generally been the case, but from a couple, you know, moments from, you know, Sonora and Bustos, there's just not scoring a lot of goals. Yeah, I mean, the, the what I was about to say was that there are only two teams and it's Aldo Civi and Newells, I think it is, who've, scored, who've conceded more than Godoy Cruz. Um, there are three other teams who've conceded the same number, but they've, they've conceded 20 in 14 matches, which is a hell of a lot. And I'm just trying to look at now what you've just said. Yeah, Silvio Romero has six goals. Sonora and Andres Roa have three each. Um, and I mean, that accounts for, what is that? Six, nine, 12. And you've only scored like yeah, and then 14 the, in total, the 15 more, or something in more total. Concerning, and I think the more concerning, concerning issue is the fact that even when you have uh, players like Velasco and Roa who are I mean, I will always be a little bit patient with Veracruz because of his age and because of the fact that he's an academy graduate. But uh, even when you consider Roa, or when you consider, you know, uh, players like Palacios in, uh, when he was at the club, they were just uh, performing just below par and uh, they were just being really, really inconsistent. And then you look at the bench, and you'll see it full of, you know, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. You can't just... Um, I mean, you could have easily, you know, uh, sent uh, someone like uh, Chila Marquez into the starting lineup, but then it would be a huge weight for his shoulders to it for someone like who's like 20, 21 years old. It's just not as easy to drop the the other performing senior levels because the the substitutes, the the depth in the in the squad is just not there. But then they have so to get experience to somehow, do. right? I mean, when 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 do they? But when do you start giving the kids the experience? Otherwise, why why not? I mean, twenty one, twenty two is. I mean, but it's not. I mean, that's that's what I would do. I mean, that's that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. I I would like to see uh, Chile Marquez, for example, who has been you know very very promising in his minutes. Uh, He has scored his first senior goal against Goya Cruz, the consolation. Um, But um, you know, Falcioni has generally during his time within the Valiente not exactly been the most uh, you know has hasn't given the most trust to, to the academy graduates unless it's an absolute necessity something like uh Sonora's breakthrough in the last uh, in the last you know five or six games Velasco's breakthrough again and you know in in the early games of uh, of last season as well you know he only he only gives these chances when it's absolutely absolutely necessary. Look at Sergio Reto's case, for example, when you when he only he only broke into the starting lineup when uh, Figal and Franco were sold and Lasso could not play. Hmm. Changes needed, anyway. Um, I think moving that, on. Uh, oh, go on, Andres. So, sorry, Sam. Yeah, you know, I think that Silvio Romero, of course, he scored twice the other day, uh, the other night against Peles. And he scored six out of 16 goals that Independiente has. I, I think that, uh, of course, the obvious thing is to say that he's his key player, who is a player, a key player, but also with the problems that Santi said uh, about the economic, economics or financial problems, that they can't sign any players because of that 
debt they have uh, with America. And uh, one year ago, it was said, or he was linked with Boca, and there was like a soap opera that he finally stayed. And I think, thanks to God for Independiente, that he stayed because, uh, of course, you have you needed that mix between the the experienced players and youngsters. And of course, Silvio Romero is that experienced player that can, that gives some some uh, great level to the to the to the attack. And uh, uh, look look at Boca right now, who, uh, the problems that they have to score. And Independiente uh, uh, was able to to keep Romero. I think he, that is quite a, 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 I wouldn't say a miracle, but but it's a great a great thing for Independiente as. Uh, he he is, I think, if he will, was uh, will will be there in the in the squad, I think that uh, clearly Independiente will be even worse in the table, uh, even lower in the table, and uh, uh, there will be really really problems to to build the team because I think the, he's he's really really a key player in the in the in the squad. Yeah, I agree. Um, yes. I think Boca has their own problems with the with the youngsters in the sense that. Uh, Batalia is also, you know, overly reliant on some of the, of the senior players who are constantly letting him down. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other story, I think. Yeah, regarding the intelligence of some of Boca's senior players, I think it's happened since we last recorded that Marcos Rojo um, gave his face mask, the face mask he was wearing, to, <laughs> to a young fan uh, when Boca turned up for a Copa Argentina match, yeah. I think it was, wasn't it? About, what was that, about a week ago? We can... Tuesday last week yeah, or something? Maybe a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, but yeah, going back to Rojo, actually, weren't you reminded of um, the time he was sent off against uh, Chile in the Copa America final when that happened? I think it was like really, really similar situation. Yeah. Even worse because Chile were also down to 10 men and then he just he lost it once again. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was absolutely, it was, it was utterly bizarre. We didn't really discuss the beyond just saying that he got booked twice in quick succession, we didn't discuss it, but it, it, the commentators made the point that the, the first booking, first of all, there was absolutely no doubt over. It was a clear yellow card. The second one, you could sort of argue it both ways. You could say, oh, but the River player was going in looking for it. But at the same time, if you've just been booked and you're a centre-back and you go swinging your leg like that, then you've got to be aware that the opposing forwards and midfielders are going to be looking for, for what they're going to be looking for, you know, whether whether you think it's a clear cut foul or whether you think, oh, but he, well, you know, the river guy, I can't remember who it was, uh, you know, manufactured it a bit. But either way, just have some brains. I mean, Rojo's what, 34? Uh, and for him to the be thing is still that playing the, that way, it's just, it's ridiculous. The thing is that all of the players think and, and they start playing the classical uh, uh, thinking that they won't be sent off in the first minutes because they it's usually like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, they aren't sent off uh, after the first strong uh, uh, foul they make, they make or uh, uh, in the first quarter of, of the match. Uh, and in this case, it was like that. So it was uh, uh, said that uh, he didn't deserve the, the red card, which, of course, you, like you said, you, can, you could discuss perhaps the first one as, as he tried not to kick or not to touch uh, Brian Romero, but... Uh, uh, there is a, like a, it's used not to 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 uh, award a red card uh, to a player when it is the first minutes of a classical and well I think that's the that's what they think. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, uh, Rojo, I think he played himself in that uh, sending off because if you 
if you remember, he was one of the very first Boca players to complain about uh, Enzo Perez's first foul um, with about a minute, uh, a minute of, of play. Uh, he was the one that immediately went to referee Rapalini and asked, and asked uh, to Enzo Perez to be booked, which he did. And it was odd because, I mean, it's not common for a, for a referee to book a player within the first five minutes of a derby. Mm. And then he he commits some very similar fouls and gets booked twice for it. And then you see all the Boca fans, you know, um, walking walking the minds up to, to some kind of controversy and and you know, uh, not sorry, not controversy, but uh, conspiracy theories around you know River and the Commonwealth once again. So it's just the fact that Rojo was just playing himself, basically. Indeed, he was. Um, now I had a segue planned, which was talking about Independiente's um, segueing from Independiente's woes in front of goal. Um, that's now not really going to happen. But I was just going to mention that for all of Independiente's troubles, uh, one team who aren't having any difficulty with finding a variety of different goal scorers are Tacheres. Enzo Diaz has got four goals from defence. Carlos Auski also has four. Michael Santos and Mateo Retegui have three each. Hector Fertoli and Diego Baloches have two each. And then they've got a few other players who've scored one apiece. And they're sitting second in the table still, just one point behind River. Um, we've not talked about them in a lot of detail, although Dan and I did give them some praise last time out. But since then... Uh, just to remind us, they have uh, thrashed Tacheres. They've also got past uh, Tempele 2-1 in the Copa Argentina. And then, of course, that surprising defeat to Defensa y Justicia. But overall, it's shaping up to be a really impressive season for them. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate for them because I think before, before they were thrashed by Defensa, they were like 12 games unbeaten. And uh, the one time... They lose, albeit in the way they got they got smacked by Defensa. But the one game they lose, and they still lose, lose the top of the table just because of in Rivers' equally absolutely brilliant form, even yeah. in the face of you know a lot of uh, injuries and uh, a lot of players who had to be quarantined for for participating with their national teams uh, in the in the last international break. Um, I know there's a lot of talk being that uh, this is uh, one of Gajardo's weaker uh, teams since he took over. And you might say that um, it does not have the same level of talent that he did maybe in 2015 or 2018. That's That goes without saying. But uh, the resilience this team is showing and uh, the fact that they can, you know, just win games... Uh, by inertia, that's something that they've. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember sh- them showing this on a regular basis in the in the local league. Maybe maybe that's because um, they have a uh, just the one objective for for the season. But uh, it's absolutely impressive. Yeah, just to drag it back to Tacheres, though, um, you're quite right, Santi. I just had a count while you were talking, and they they were twelve unbeaten. Um, it was. 10 league matches and two Copa Argentina matches. Um, and in those games, they had two draws and 10 wins. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, they've just been, as, as we said a couple of weeks ago with Dan, it's just very, very regular. They always seem to be able to find enough, apart, of course, from against Defensivos DC this past weekend. They've, they've always found enough to just to get the job done. Um, 
and funnily enough, a former River player who didn't really impress very much at River, Carlos Alski, has been an absolutely enormous part of it. Um, because as well as the, was it three or four goals I mentioned a minute ago, uh, he is also leading them, I think, for assists. He's got, yeah, two, two well, he's the joint top assist maker, but he's goals plus assists is on six, which leads the team. Um, he just seems much happier. And it, it's, he's reminding me a little bit more of the, the Alski that River thought they were signing from Estudiantes back when he was slightly mercurial, but often very, very dangerous forward and then just never really showed up when, when River had him. Um, so good luck to Tacheras. I mean, it would be great if they could keep this run going and continue to push for some kind of honour. If they can't, then you can always rely on Lanus for some entertainment as well. 24 goals scored, 20 conceded, uh, third in the table with 26 points. And is Jose Sand still scoring them? Does he continue to extend his record? I can't remember whether he got one at the weekend. I he think he's, did uh, not. he's level on goals with, with Ojeda, but uh, the one that's now catching them up almost is uh, Juan Manuel Lopez. Yeah, Sam's uh, uh, young enough to be Sam's son. <laughs> yeah, he was, um, he, was born, but he was born after uh, Sand made his uh, first team debut. Yeah, after, after Sam scored his first competitive goal. he was goal born in, well. in the same province. He's from Corrientes as well as, as Sam. So two players very... I think we, we said a, a few weeks ago that two players very much at the opposite ends of their careers. Uh, Sand himself hasn't scored... I'm trying to find his last goal, was it? Against Newells? Did he get that one? He didn't, know. Jose Lopez scored that one as well. So Sand actually might uh, be able to extend his his own record as oldest goal scorer in Argentine top flight history by a meaningful amount next time um, he gets one because it's been at least a month and a half by the look of it since his last goal. Um, but Lanús generally... That is until that is until Cristian Lucchetti gets to... <laughs> Gets to, uh, gets to actually score a penalty. Indeed, yeah. I found it. It was in a 1-1 draw against Sarmiento, which was on the 4th of September. So just over a month ago um, was Sam's last goal. So he will be able to extend his, his record by a month and a bit if he can score in Lanús' next match. Unluckily for Lucchetti, I think that Rodrigo Tucumán will uh, not be easy to, to be awarded a penalty as they are not attacking that much and playing quite awfully. Yeah, they're not doing very much of anything, are they? They're 20th at the moment. Um, 12 goals scored in 14 matches. There's a reason that we're not picking them up and talking about them lots and lots in each episode. Um, We are running out of time anyway now for this first half, so I'm going to call a half-time break at this juncture, and when we come back, we will... Well, I don't know whether we'll talk that much more about the league, but we are, of course, going to preview the triple header of upcoming World Cup qualifiers beginning tomorrow evening, which will probably be this evening by the time most of you hear this for the first time. So for now, don't go away. Welcome back. Okay, odds and ends to tie up from the 
uh, league action. I don't think we've really got any, have we? Anybody want to mention anything else? Uh, we 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 touched Tajeres, uh, uh, and since there is no relegation battle to talk about, the rest of the league doesn't really matter. So, no, San Lorenzo and Racing just to round up the big five, which we normally cover all of them. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, both yeah. continue to look fairly uninspired. I mean, really. there's a there's a question in the there's a question in the in the in, on Twitter that we could probably use to segue into into talking about grassing. If, yeah, if uh, but anyway, for, for now the standings um, just to run them down at the top: uh, River top of the table with 30 points, Tachera second with 29, Lanús third with 26, Estudiantes fourth with 25. Independiente fifth with 23. And then, as I've already mentioned, Vélez and Godoy Cruz are sixth and seventh, separated on goal difference, both on 21 points. Um, oh, Argentinos and Boca also both have 21 points. So Argentinos are eighth, Boca are ninth. And then uh, not much point going much further down the table. As Santi says, there's no relegation. Um, so next up then, next item on the agenda is the... I'm just trying to get my get it up on my phone. Uh, the wonderful entertainments that is the Conmebol World Cup qualifying, in which we hope that before we next record, um, well, we hope that before we next record, we'll have seen at least two matches. I'm not sure whether we're going to record before the third match or after it next week. Um, but fingers crossed, Argentina actually do play three matches during this international break, which they didn't manage to do last time out. Argentina's matches are away to Paraguay on Thursday evening. That is, if you're listening to this podcast um, within 24 hours of it going online, that's basically tonight if you're in a similar time zone to us. Um, Then they are at home to Uruguay on the 10th, which must be Sunday, I think. Sunday, yeah. And then they are at home to Peru on Thursday the 14th. Annoyingly, there are lots of matches that have been scheduled at very similar kickoff times. So we're not going to be able to do the time-honoured South American qualifying thing of just spending the whole afternoon watching one qualifier followed by another, followed by another, because they're all overlapping. Paraguay, Argentina and Uruguay v Colombia are both on at 8 o'clock. Venezuela v Brazil is on at 8.30. Ecuador v Bolivia is on at 9.30. And Peru versus Chile is on at 10 p.m., all Argentine on Thursday for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. It's annoying. They, they used to stagger them better, um, but they've stopped doing it recently and it's, it's very irritating. Anyway, um, I, did, I haven't looked into the details, but I have heard that there's been some deal struck uh, with the UK government allowing, very generously, allowing players to play for the national teams that um, the English FA as I mentioned before, signed up to play by FIFA's rules and should have been releasing them for in the first place last month, uh, which means that Brazil, of course, are going to be at full strength this time because apparently now that Brazil are allowed to call up their players, uh, you know, the, the the law doesn't matter anymore from Brazilians' point of view. Um, just getting that in there. And um, Argentina actually aren't affected that much anyway because they've called up three England-based players as opposed to four. I believe I'm right in saying that Emiliano Buendia isn't in the squad this time around, um, but that Giovanni Lo Celso, Cristiano Romero and, of course, Emiliano Martinez all are. Uh, how are we seeing this one then, guys, or, or these three, I guess you should say? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I'm glad that we're that they're back in the team because I mean, they're undisputed starters after all. And uh, even if um, we did uh, we did beat uh, Bolivia pretty comfortably, we're talking about Bolivia outside La Paz. Because, uh, so, I mean, even if we have a second or third string Argentina side, um, we should always beat Bolivia if they're not on the pass. That's, that's how things work. Uh, so this, uh, this run of games will certainly be tougher than uh, the last one, especially considering that we only face Brazil for five minutes. And uh, in all likelihood, we might get the three points anyway. So... Um, Yeah, I mean, this is a really, really strong squad. It's almost untouched from the the Copa America, the Copa America squad, but a couple injuries. Um, so, I mean, considering the level of this of this Argentina team and the fact that uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, and uh, Peru are not in the at at their brightest hour at the moment, even if there is certainly some talent in those teams. I think uh, we should have enough to beat all three of them. Yeah, if it was a way to Uruguay, I'd be perhaps a little less confident. But really, Argentina need to be looking at nine points, don't they, from this fixture list? That was intended as a question. Um, yes, I, I think oh, that sorry. even <laughs> even winning, I think both matches uh, home, uh, which I think will uh, will happen. Uh, and, and getting a draw against Paraguay tomorrow, I think it will be great. And I, I, there were I, I don't know whether mathematically it will be a qualification, but uh, it will be if 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 it's not, it will be quite close. And I think that uh, is the at least for me it's the first time in in a long time that we are quite at ease. And and even even Scaloni confirmed that the, the team for tomorrow will be. Mostly 99% that uh, similar uh, team that has been playing. Uh, I, he he didn't say who was the one that had has an, an, like a pain there or or, or he's in doubt. But uh, uh, yes, and, and adding that what Santi said, which is that the the, the the other perhaps potential rivals that could uh, put Argentina qualification in risk is are not at their best. Like for example, well, uh, not Paraguay perhaps that they have 11 points, but uh, in other times it will be a risky match perhaps. And in this case, I think it is uh, a, a match to play quite at ease and and, and uh, not with the perhaps um, uh, danger, a uh, footballistic danger that will have meant in other times perhaps. Yeah, um, I think Scaloni said 99% certain that the team, the starting 11, would be the same starting 11 um, as for the Copa America final. Uh, yes. If that's right, then that would mean Emiliano Martinez in goal, Gonzalo Montiel, Cristiano Romero, Nicolas, Nicolas Otamendi and Marcos Acuna across the back, uh, Angel Di Maria, Rodrigo de Paul, Leandro Paredes and Giovanni Lo Celso across midfield and Messi and Lautaro Martinez up front. Um, what, as Andres says, what that remaining 1% of doubt is, we're not really sure, but obviously you can't say 100% because if you say, oh, I'm 100%, yeah, he's going to start. Think, uh, I think it would be, training. yeah, I think it would be um, either uh, Molina Lucero or Montiel at right back. I think that's mm -hmm. my bet. 
that's always doubts in Argentina. I mean, even if um, even if both have been brilliant, they ne- one has never done quite enough to be the undisputed uh, starter at right back. Not I, I I don't say this as a as a diss to either of them, but just to point out the fact that they are in a very very similar level. Indeed, yeah. Um, Paraguay at home, it you know never an easy prospect. I mean, I have already said that. Really, they need to be Argentina need to be looking at nine points. But I'm just trying to find the home and away. St- ah, there's the home and away button. Let's have a look um, to see because we're used to talking about Paraguay at home as, as Paraguay in their own home, I should say. Um, as being a, a, a tricky fixture, but they've only managed one win from five home matches so far. Um, only one defeat as well, though. That was against Brazil. They've drawn three. Um, so it, it, it could go either way, but I mean, really, Argentina playing the way that Argentina have been playing recently, and with Messi playing the way that he's been playing for Argentina recently, um, <laughs> that, that Argentina are going to have to start as heavy favourites on Thursday evening, I would think. I mean, yeah, um, if you consider the fact that uh, Paraguay's last win basically saved, uh, it, it saved, uh, what's this, uh, it saved Eduardo Berizzo's job and uh, Uruguay have been like very, I mean, they have a, a really, really talented squad, I, I must say, but uh, Tavares is just far from the most creative uh, kind of manager. I mean, I would say that we should be favourites to win to win on Thursday just because I mean because of the way uh, this team plays and the fact that they always try to you know overrun their opponents in the first half I think it should be it should be we should be fine yeah um Argentina v Uruguay is obviously the the fixture I guess that we're all going to be especially as Argentina fans that we're all going to be looking at in this particular triple header the Clásico Rio Platense the oldest fixture in international football outside the British Isles. Um, is it one that sort of, you two as Argentines, is it one that gets your juices flowing in the same way as Argentina-Brazil does? Or I mean, you can't say it flows or juices in the same way as Argentina-Brazil. Um, the fact that we haven't met Uruguay in a final in, what is it, almost 100 years? <laughs> Could probably be a, a, a factor in, in that. Um, I think uh, a game against Chile would probably, you know, uh, make our blood boil more than Uruguay. But I must acknowledge that uh, Uruguay is certainly one of uh, Argentina's more traditional rivals uh, in the sense that, well, it's, it's basically the most uh, played fixture in international football. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of history. There's... Um, there's, there has been a very similar level between the two sides in the last 10 years. Uh, and even if uh, Uruguay are not in the, as I said before, at their, at their best right now, it's still a massive, massive team who can, you know, score goals out of nowhere. I don't know how Andres feels about this. No, when, when we play Uruguay in a, in a knockout stage, perhaps I, I feel like, of course, it's a team, a, a match you, you, you always want to, to win, but uh, I don't feel it the same way as uh, playing against Brazil. Uh, I, I want to defeat Brazil in a friendly at uh, at futsal that we defeated them in the World Cup uh, at, at, at football at beach soccer. 
but uh, regarding Uruguay, uh, I think it's different. Uh, and I, I don't feel the same way. It's like, uh, well, yes, of course, it's, it's a team you, you should defeat also to, to, to get the qualification to, to, to the World Cup and that, but not at the same level, I think, definitely. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Um, obviously, I was asking more from you know listeners' points of view who might be wondering rather than for my own. Um, but yeah, and then afterwards, obviously, Argentina v Peru is a, a pretty friendly rivalry. Um, really, well, at least from Argentina's point of view, I don't know whether Peruvian people think quite the same way because you know, let's face it, the rest of the continent doesn't particularly like Argentines. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, these well, Advincula, uh, sorry, Advincula and Zambrana will be again playing at the Monumental next Thursday if Argentina is able to, to play at the Monumental because of this uh, thing that happened with the crowd. Uh, it is said that perhaps the Monumental is, is shut down, but I, I don't, think, don't think it will happen, but uh, it's still under investigation. And if that happens, the Argentina could change their the stadium uh, to play the against Uruguay and Peru. But surely the closure of closing the Monumental would be for River home matches rather than uh, punishing Argentina by making them play in a, a smaller stadium, wouldn't it? Ah, yes, right. I, I think it's, I it's think, like that. So, yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously, the, the media do report it as though the Monumental is going to be closed, but I, I think that they're probably ignoring uh, the fact that it will indeed be open for the national team, it, particularly because they've already sold tickets for the... Uruguay match, I think it is. Yeah, the, the first home yeah. match. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they'd need to, given that that's at fifty percent capacity, they would need to move to a. Well, they'd need to refund some tickets if they were going to move it to a smaller stadium. Um, and yeah, just that really. The main standout fixtures uh, from the rest of the continent in this triple header of qualifying strike me as oh right, well we've got a Clásico del del Pacífico uh, tomorrow evening, Peru versus Chile. Uh, which is anything but a friendly rivalry. Um, we have Colombia playing Brazil on Sunday, um, shortly before, is that right? Yeah, ju- immediately before Argentina v Uruguay. And then on Thursday next week, the one that main, oh, the main one that stands out there is Brazil v Uruguay. Um, another clash of, clash of giants, or a clash of footballing giants at least, because obviously Uruguay is not a very big country, but in footballing terms... Very definitely is. Um, Uruguay have re- very recently, I think, been told by FIFA that they're allowed to continue having four stars on their shirts. By the way, did you see this? They've. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, apparently for some they, reason. Apparently, they, they actually spoke to FIFA and now they've been allowed to keep wearing their four stars. Yeah, exactly. I, which I'm not really which sure. I think. Uh, I'm not really sure why they why they wouldn't have been like uh, for some reason somebody complained about it or said oh why are you wearing four stars and you only won two World Cups, um, but obviously the two Olympic Games that they won before that were very much World Championships and FIFA recognised them as such and it had to be and they were, they were referred to FIFA, FIFA. Um, and so yeah that was uh, that was what happened there. Um, I don't think they were organised by FIFA as such because FIFA was only founded at the during the 1928 Olympics if I remember right, but. FIFA does I think recognize it was not, as... I think uh, FIFA was founded in 1904, if I'm not mistaken. Of course it was. Yes, sorry, I'm being silly. I'm getting this confused with the um, with Conmebol being founded during the tournament that's now recognized as the first Copa America. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, FIFA's always recognised them as world championships and have told them again. But for a while, for a couple of weeks, there was this thing swimming around bits of the internet saying that Puma were going to have to make a new Uruguay shirt with only two stars above the badge. Um, but anyway, there we are. Still up in the air, by the way, what's going to happen to Brazil versus Argentina. Uh, as Dan and I hinted a couple of weeks ago, the most likely scenario seems to be that FIFA will keep stringing out a decision until both teams are mathematically definitely qualified and then just go, oh, well, it doesn't matter now and we can't fit it into the calendar, so let's not bother. Um, but we will obviously keep you updated there. And one last thing before we move into listeners' questions um, is a little bit of history because Camila Usqueda, um, about a week and a bit ago, has become the first female player to be transferred for an actual transfer fee um, from an Argentine club to a European club. Um, obviously, with women's football only having been professional for two years, and for the first year of that, most of the contracts were only a year long, so a lot of foreign clubs were just waiting for contracts to run down and then signing players on freeze. Um, means that uh, it's happened. It, it's a big moment. She's moved to Lucchese, who are in Serie C in Italy. So it's not a particularly big transfer, um, but it is the first time that an Argentine club has actually... Uh, the uh, Did I mention? Gimnasia, the Argentine club she's moving from. Um, and they will become the first Argentine club to actually receive a transfer fee for a female player. So congratulations to her and to Gimnasia. And now, shall we move on to listeners' questions, gents? That's a rhetorical question. We're going to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just you... as soon as... Go I ahead, get, go ahead. Just, just as soon as Twitter decides <laughs> to load them for me. And hopefully I'm already... Yes, I am already on my hand of pod page on my phone. And see, the problem is that because I never go on football Twitter anymore, it takes a while to load my notifications. Um... Let's see. These are all from the last recording session. Um, Da-da-da-da-da. There's a bit of a conversation in our mentions here between Dan and a couple of listeners. Um, Bob Roberts. This isn't really a question, but it's a comment that he sent us during uh, Belles' 3-3 draw with Independiente. He says, the goal scored by Matias de los Santos on Saturday night at the death to earn Vélez a 3-3 draw with Independiente is one of the best I've seen. Back to goal, being pulled down, moves the ball from his right foot to his left, bang. Um, Which is a very succinct summary of it, Bob. So thank you for that. Uh, Fernet footballer, Perfect Tommy says, where do you all think Gachardo will end up when he completes his River contract? Also, who would be your pick for his successor at River? Um... Andres. I don't want to think it's, about that. Exactly. I was going to say, it's the day that you're <laughs> It's probably going to come soon, right? Because the talk has always been that he's staying until the end of Rodolfo Donofrio's spell as president. And that's, is that another two months or is it another year yeah. or two months? Yeah, so we, River fans, still keep the, the hope that he will stay. As I, I think that it will natural that Jorge Brito, the, 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 the one who is, will stand for the for the uh, presidents uh, in the, like, it's the continuity of, of the Donofrio's uh, uh, party, we will say, um, it has in the in the same list, he has a, 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 a Patanian, who is the one of the former board members in who, whom Gachardo uh, trusts, trusts more. So uh, he had a good relationship with him and 
and he was key in in in, in when Gallardo as a, a, a started being a, the, the coach of River, uh, Patanian was quite close to him and he relies on him. So uh, of course, if he wants to leave, he will. It's independently on, on who is in the in the in the in the board. But uh, uh, if if Brito wins, I think that there are great chances for for, for him to stay. Uh, and of course, it will depend on some some people say that. If if he, he wins the the Liga Profesional or River wins the Liga Profesional, that will be a, a great moment for him to live. And if, he, if River doesn't win, uh, he will uh, want a, a like always happens revenge. But of course, it's everything is in, the, in his head, and no one no one knows uh, what can can happen. And and regarding the, the the team, he could he could go well. He has linked again with Barcelona but it's impossible uh, and uh, uh, I really don't know uh, it will have be it, it should be a team uh, which he can uh, do more than, than, than building a team uh, mm-hmm. and so at least to to have command to command those divisions so it's I, I think I think it's really hard to, to think about about that and uh, about the coach who will be in his place, well, it's also really difficult. Sorry, but it's something that I I, I wouldn't. Uh, uh, it's not I don't want to think, but it's really really hard to to think about the name. Yeah, we wouldn't have picked Gachardo out as the necessarily being the the automatic replacement for Ramon Diaz back when Gachardo first took charge because he was managing in in Uruguay for Nacional, who obviously. Are, one of the biggest clubs there, but you know, as a result of that, it, it, winning the league with Nacional isn't that much of an achievement if you're a manager um, and, and you're in Uruguay. So it, you never quite know, and it, it, a lot can vary as well. If he decides, oh, go on, I'll stay on for another year, have another go at the Libertadores, then an awful lot can then happen in that year for different candidates to put their own names forward. Um, I'm interested in why you say that Barcelona is impossible, though, Andres. I'd certainly agree it's an impossible job at the moment in that with the board deciding everything and having some just year after year of disastrous transfer decisions. Um, I think it's, you're on a hiding because I think it's, it has to do like, like in other, in, in a lot of other situations, it has to do more, more with the press than with media than with real chances. Uh, in fact, there was a media outlet in, in Spain. I think it is, uh, I won't, I know if it was sport or Mundo Deportivo, uh, they, which uh, made a poll, and and Gajardo was fourth, fourth out of four coaches in the preferences of the of the supporters. Yeah. So so I think it's uh, apart apart from that. Of course, you will you will you will ne- you will never uh, reject uh, Barcelona. But uh, at this point, Barcelona isn't the same team that it was. It used to be, and and I don't think Gajardo will could be able to make so so many things there. With all of the problems that they have, and uh, and, and I think that chances weren't real, real even when when uh, in the media was installed that he was really linked with with Barcelona. Yeah, and I mean also yeah. we've already seen the reaction in the past to Gerardo Martino moving from uh, from the Argentine league straight to Barcelona, and just the reaction from the Catalan press then when he got off to. You know, in hindsight, really a, a fairly decent start. The football wasn't thrilling, but it was their longest unbeaten run to a season ever. 
Um, and yet the media were slaughtering him from day one. So, uh, you know, there's a large degree betrayed again in, in that poll that you've just mentioned, Andres, to which people just aren't interested if it's not football that they're watching. You know, when we talked about it in the past, people are very familiar with the dynamic of Lionel Messi's international career earlier on, even when he was tearing up trees in Europe. Oh, no, but he's never done it in the Argentine Primera, so we don't care. Um, until he, you know, started turning in amazing performances every time he turned up for Argentina as well. Um, yeah, also, you have to consider the fact that um, Barcelona, in, in particular, all, uh, have a really, you know, special set of fans who are just incredibly, you know, um, how can I word this? Um, you know, doubtful or, you know, suspicious of anyone who just does not have, you know, Barca DNA in the sense that uh, if you take a look at the last managers of the team, you can you can see a trend in the sense that uh, they've uh, mostly been players who have either played for the club before or just are just generally known for playing the sort of exactly the sort of football they they try to implement. You know, even if you go back to uh, even if you go back to you know Guardiola, Villanova. Uh, Martino being an obvious succession, but then Luis Enrique. Well, the, um, the, the perfect example. The perfect example of what you're talking about, really, is just the fact that Ronald Koeman is actually in that job at the moment, because he would not have been considered for the Barcelona job if he hadn't scored, you know, arguably the most important goal in their history back in 1990. I mean, pretty much, and, Two, and, even, and even so, uh, and even so. Um, you know, now Kuman is being derided and absolutely lambasted by the fans because he does not play the kind of football that Barcelona fans want to be played. And I do not think that Gallardo is as, uh, you know, a strictly uh, tiki-taka kind of manager no, he's not. as he's... the Barcelona fans want. I think he's pretty yeah. pragmatic in, in, his, in his style of play. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, I agree. Uh, and also, in, in, in that sense, I think uh, Barcelona need a manager, like, right now. Mm. And um, Gallardo has uh, no plans to just uh, abandon River in the middle of a title challenge, you know, to take charge of a team like Barcelona. So, yeah, um, I will stick to my, you know, pipe dream of one day seeing Gallardo take charge of AS Monaco uh, when he when he's done with River, either now or later. But I would really like to see that happen. I mean, I think that could be the ideal step for Gajardo to take. Yeah, or, or if not, then, you know, if, if he ends up staying at River much longer and his decade at the top starts to look like it might be coming to an end uh, at or the perhaps. top of his managerial game, then a move to MLS wouldn't, you know, be out of the, outside the realms of possibility. He speaks some English because he, he played there before. Um, and he doesn't seem to be driven to to me. It, it seems like he's he's not particularly driven by money or by the challenge of of doing things at the top level in Europe necessarily. Because if he was, then he'd have been off years ago already. Perhaps Monaco or or even uh, PSG, Paris Saint Germain were uh... PSG. I think might be too much for him. I yes, mean, of that course. club is it's too much for most people. Even for Pochettino, who is now being quite criticized because apparently he can't lead with with the stars, uh, with with Mbappe, with well, of course Neymar and Messi, and and he lost it a match and he's now uh, being very very criticized. So it's uh, like 
is they are like watchers um, in Europe and, and if you don't get the results right now, uh, it would be quite difficult. So, uh, uh, yes, I, I really don't know where Gachardo will go if, if he leaves River. And in fact, I think that he will have uh, at least six months uh, like uh, to, 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 to have uh, vacations and, and, and well, uh, to, to stop a bit. And, and, and or perhaps to watch football and try to 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 get more uh, 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 to, to watch more football and to try to 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 see and to analyze and, and, and see where he can go but not at the very moment in which he leaves river I think mm. uh, watch this space Rob Fitzpatrick says after Racing have fallen down the table they surely need a top coach ASAP. Any ideas? I'm going to have to throw my hands up here and say that I do not know who might be on Racing's radar. It's a shame that Dan's not involved this week. Apparently, uh, one of the rumoured names to, to take charge is still Javier Macherano, who, well, to be honest, I I think it has all the potential to become an absolute car crash of a, of a signing. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect the, the best of Macherano. I think um, if I... If I were on Racing's board, I think my ideal candidate to take charge of Racing would be Gabriel Heinze. Because, uh, I mean, I think it feels like he just transmits the same kind of chaotic energy that uh, Chacho called it uh, at one point uh, transmitted in this time at Racing, but it's kind of also a, a very, you know, hungry and energetic and... Uh, exciting kind of appointment for them to make mm. which at the same time it kind of it's kind of the reason why i don't think they will appoint Heinze. yeah we'll see he certainly left atlanta under a bit of a cloud as well didn't he so we shall have to see yeah finally liam Gago's, kelly gago is also gago is also free now maybe we can oh true yeah, see him <laughs> taking shots there finally liam kelly says is it river's title to lose how long will it be before Alvarez is off to Europe? Um, to the first of those, they're one point clear and there's a lot of, of matches still to go. There are 11 games left still. So I don't think we can yet say that it's theirs to lose. Um, one match that we're all going to be looking at very eagerly, though, is coming up in a few weeks' time when Tacheres host River. That's the weekend of the 21st of October. Um and, you know, that could turn out in hindsight to, to be a, a big match in the title race. But after it's played, there are still going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rounds of matches. Um, so even though we're now into October, there's still an awfully long way to go in this season um, that will end on the 12th of December. So I'm not sure whether we can really say River's title to lose just yet. Um, how long will it be before Alvarez is off to Europe? I mean, the way he's playing at the moment possibly not long. Um, but then again, no one in the world of football actually has very much money at the moment. So who knows? Maybe that bizarrely helps Argentina's clubs to hang on to some players rather than hindering them as it always has done before. What do we think, guys? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all that According to, sure about to, that. To, to transfer market, I think it was uh, he, he's yes. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go on, Andres. No, yes, I, I was going to say that 
Uh, I think that uh, his value is, uh, of course, according to, to, to transfer market, I, I, then we, you, you have to see whether that value is respected in a, a transfer or not, but uh, about, about 70, 70 million. I don't know if euros or dollars, but that apparently, more or less. And his contract ends in December of next year. So until June of next year, River is safe in the way that he can't, he won't be able to to negotiate to a, with another uh, uh, Yeah. Anyway, I don't think he will do that uh, or he will, he will leave for uh, yeah, they'll certainly want to try and get a fee for him. Um, th- those are all of the listeners' questions. So for now, we've, we've just got a few minutes left, so I will use them to do some mystical... Oh, no, hang on. No, not mystical predictions, because we've got World Cup qualifiers coming up. So uh, rather than that, we'll just go in straight in without any theme music to what do we think is going to happen? Um, are we all just going to say that Argentina are going to pick up maximum points then from these three matches I think they are I think they should I'm not saying they will but I think they should have enough to to get uh, nine points out of nine because of you know the current uh, this team's current form their hunger their their seemingly unstoppable uh, stride at the moment they look very very sharp and um looks like they can basically face anyone and at least give them a real run for the money. So I, I think they, they should have enough quality and enough intelligence just close to match matches. Andres? I think that they, uh, as I said before, they will get a draw tomorrow. Uh, I think 1-1. One, one. Then, and then where they will... Uh, we will defeat Uruguay 2-1 and Peru 2-0. I'm going to be optimistic and stick with Santi and say full points. I'm going to go for Paraguay 1, Argentina 2. Argentina 2, Uruguay 1 and Argentina 3, Peru 1. Yeah, I'll I'll go with those. Do you want to try any exact scores, Santi, since Andres and I both have them? Funnily enough, I also predicted Argentina to win 2 1 in another podcast, the One Animation podcast. Uh, so, yeah, I would say 2 1 for us against Paraguay, 2 0 against Uruguay, and uh, 2 0 against Peru as well. Fingers crossed. Okay, for now then, thank you very much indeed for listening to us all. Remember that if you want to um, give us some money and help to support the podcast, you can do so by going over to patreon.com slash handofpod. Um, and signing up there. I hope that we're all about to stick around and record a quick other extra episode for our patron fans. If you already are one, then thank you very much indeed. And for now, thanks for listening and goodbye from Santi. See you around, guys. From Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. And from me. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.